First thing I want you to see here is what God says. Verse 8. For my thoughts. Right away it tells us God has thoughts. I said God has thoughts. In, in Psalm 39, He tells you about His thoughts towards you or as numerous as the same. God thinks about you. He thinks about you more than you do. He has plans for your future, Jeremiah says. God's thinking about you all the time. And the problem is He's thinking about me and I'm thinking about me. What I'm learning is to spend more time thinking about Him that I think about me. Because that's how you get to know somebody. When I first met my wife and fell in love with her, we were some 800 miles apart. And I'm not going to go into the story. You've heard the story before. But when I wasn't with her, I, all I could do is think about her. When I was in class, all I could do is think about her. Well, I was in love with her. The more I thought about her, the more in love I was with her. The more you think about someone, the more attracted you are to them. The more you desire them. And so one of the ways to develop a passion for God, if you don't have one, is to begin to think more about Him. Because He's already thinking about you. So God has thoughts, we see here. And the next thing we see is, my thoughts are not your thoughts. So God has thoughts, and I have thoughts, but right away He tells me up front, I don't think the way you do. So now i got a choice. God has a way of thinking, and I have a way of thinking. I'll save you a lot of trouble... You're never going to get him to think the way you think. And when you really understand it, you'll be glad. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. Then he tells us what the difference is. For as, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than than your thoughts. So God has His own thoughts, and until we've changed our way of thinking, His thoughts are different than our thoughts. And then He tells us what the difference is. His heart thoughts are higher than our thoughts. They're so much higher than our thoughts, they're higher than the heavens are above the earth. We, we were supposed to fly back on Saturday. We couldn't get out on Saturday, so we ended up getting out Last night, we flew back, as we saw the sun setting, we got above the clouds and looked over at the left side of the plane. And we're above the clouds and just all clouds, and the sun's beginning to set over it and say, Wow, I looked at my wife, that must be just a taste of what heaven is. And we were at 35,000 feet, and we were no closer to the heavens than we were when we were at zero, because that's how much higher the heavens are above the earth. So God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And his thoughts are higher. They're better thoughts than we have. So what we're going to learn to do is learn how to think God's thoughts because his thoughts are going to produce his results. Your thoughts have been producing your results. And you need to ask yourself, do I like those results or not? So the first reason it's important to learn how to renew our mind is because we need to learn to think along the principles of God's kingdom. And basically, I remember somebody when I first got saved and began to learn about the Word of God and what the Word of God will do in your life. Someone said to me, you know, oh, they're just brainwashing you. And I look back and says, my brain needs washing. 
It needed a scrubbing. It needed to be hosed down. It needed to be disinfected. It needed to be well cleansed. And the Word of God is what will do that. So go with me now to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Last year I was teaching something out of this verse, these verses. And I, I went and looked in the, at the original Greek to see what this word meant. And it changed how I saw this whole perp- verse. We're going to get into this more when it talks about, we talk about how to renew our mind. Let's start in verse 4. For the weapons of our for warfare are not carnal. That's, that means they're not of the flesh that they're mighty in God or through God for pulling down strongholds. And that's what we'll talk about later on. And casting down arguments or imaginations, in the King James says, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's really what renewing the mind is, and we're going to learn how to do that. But I want to look at this phrase, casting down imaginations or arguments. That word arguments or imaginations in the original language is a word that means not just imaginations like, you know, I'm sitting in, in, my, in, my, in, in school, uh, you know, and, and I'm daydreaming. Because I used to be a daydreamer. Just sit there, you know, and my mind would go off and this thing, you know. And that's, you know, and, you know, the teacher, he has a vivid imagination. This word doesn't mean imagination in that sense of the word. This word means a, a, a pattern of thoughts. A, a, a structured pattern of thoughts that's designed to communicate a message. So let's bring this in here. So we're talking about a spiritual warfare and w- the weapons that God gives us, one of the purposes is to cast down arguments or patterns of thoughts that exalt themselves, look at this, against the knowledge of God. We start out by saying that if you are not programming this computer between your ears, somebody is. Not only that, somebody already has. Because by the time you got to be a Christian, your mind was already programmed. Programmed along the lines of those perverted principles we've been learning on Sunday morning. Programmed about what you are like from the time you were a child all the way up through adulthood. Your mind was programmed because of how people saw you, what they thought about you, how what God was like, and what you... All this was programmed into your mind. doesn't mean it was right, but an image was instilled in you about what you were like, about what God was like. And one of the things I've had to overcome and still have to work at is there were images instilled in me, not intentionally, not because my parents intended to do that, but just through a whole series of things I don't want to go back into now, but because of things that have been instilled in my parents. There was a message communicated to me that was something wrong with me. I couldn't, it was never anything specific. There's just something wrong with you. You don't measure up. And that was ingrained in me. And that affected how I saw myself and how I could relate to everybody around me. Whether I had confidence in situations or not, it filtered everything that came into my mind and everything that came out of me. This image that I had of myself. Not only that, there's an image built in me of what God is like. God planned for the family is that you would have a, a, a godly man 
and a godly woman whom God has brought together in a covenant of love and respect and of commitment for life. And out of that covenant relationship, God ordained the physical act that produces life. This is why God hates fornication and adultery. Because it's not that God doesn't want us to have fun. It's because God is concerned about the life that will be produced. And He is only authorizing the activity that will produce that life in the context of a covenant relationship because of this. Because when a child is produced in a godly home with a godly man and a godly woman who are in a covenant relationship with each other and with God, then God has confidence that what will be communicated to them is a correct image of Him. Because a child has no concept of what God is like. The first concept the child has of what God is like is the image he gets from his father and his mother. And God's plan is that with a godly, not perfect, but with a godly father and mother, they're going to grow up and be prepared to know what the real God is like because he's going to be an extrapolation, an extension of what they were like. So their relationship, their conduct in the home, their loving acceptance of that child is designed to produce in that child a basic confidence and acceptance in himself. And Because if you don't accept yourself, you're going to have trouble accepting that God will accept you. Most of the trouble people have in prayer and in worship is a lack of confidence in themselves. Why would God hear my prayers? Because I know what I'm like. Well, we all know if, you know, if we pass the test out right now, well, you know, God loves me because Jesus died on the cross. Yeah, we know that here, but it hasn't settled down in here. Because what you settles down in here is how you act. The real test is when you've done something wrong, Do you run to God or away from Him? Because that'll tell you what you think God's like. Now, here's an example of that. My mother was not by far a perfect person. And she communicated some things to me that, that I wish she hadn't. But one thing she did communicate to me was that whatever I did wrong, I could always go to her and tell her. In fact, I learned early on it was better for me if I went to her and told her than if she found out. So it's never been hard for me to go to God and be able to tell Him where I am and what I've done. Because that image of Him was imparted to me. That part of it was. Now, other parts were imparted to me that did not help me. So my whole point is this. That, that, that a child, from the time you're a child, there's an image ingrained in you that's, that, that, that is preparing you for your relationship with God. And Satan understands that process. That's why he's trying to break the home up. That's why he doesn't mind people living together as long as they don't end up in a covenant of marriage because there's no commitment in the living together. And so there's no stability inside. I don't care if you've been living with somebody for 20 years. Why haven't you made the commitment? Because in essence, you're saying, I'm doing this from day to day. That communicates an image. That's what God's like with us. So tomorrow, God might not like me and may get up and decide, I want somebody else. 
The covenant is designed to create a certainty of relationship that no matter what happens, I know that love and acceptance is going to be there so that in our life, in coming to Him as sons and daughters, we'll know that whatever happens, I can still come to Him because He's a covenant Father. But most of us didn't get that. So we're struggling in our relationship with God because of what was programmed in here. So we need to learn how to reprogram this because it's affecting our relationship with God. So notice what this says. This says, casting down straw imaginations or, or reasonings, structured patterns of thought, look what they do, that exalt themselves against what? Knowing God. And the greatest imagination, the greatest argument that exalts itself against the knowledge of God is religion. Religion tells you what God is like based on man's idea of what God is like. The only way you can know what God is really like is with what He gave us to reveal Himself, which is this Word. But even with this, we read this through the filter of what we already think He is. I'm reading a book about a man, and we'll get into this later on this year, because it's some of the things that God was talking to me about, about how when God actually, when God shows up and manifests Himself in a church service... It's interesting because he said this and it was, he said when God manifests his tangible presence people get confused. And he goes on and says I know you people know the Bible are going to say that's not possible because the Bible says God's not the author of confusion. And his answer is God didn't author the confusion he just brings it out. And he goes on to give this example. He said, many of you have read my books and listened to my tapes, but I can't tell you the number of times when somebody actually sees me in person and says, wow, I didn't think you looked like that. I thought you were taller or shorter. I thought you were bald or had more hair or older or younger. He says, they had an image of what I was like. And when they came face to face with the real me and their image didn't match me, they, got, they, they didn't get confused. They were already confused because what I was really like didn't match their image. Now they got a choice. They've either got to let go of what they thought I was like to know what I'm really like, or if they hold on to what they thought I was like, they're never going to really know what I'm really like. And as we renew our mind through the Word of God to what He's like, you're going to consistently have that choice to make. Do I want to hold on to what I think God is like and what I want Him to be? Because then you will not really know Him. See, when we first got married, we each had an image of what we were like. And we were wrong to some degree. Because we didn't, you can't really know somebody until you're connected to them. Even if you're living with them, you can't really know them until you become... Because if you're living with somebody, first of all, it's sin. I'm not looking at anybody. It, but it's sin. You need to know it's, it's S-I-N. It, it is sin with a capital S. So everybody's doing Yeah, they're all sinning. 
You understand more people are going to hell than heaven? So if you want to be part of the crowd, see where the crowd's headed. Because Jesus said the way's narrow. And there are few that find it. Because the other way's easy. So if you're going to go along with the crowd, what everybody's doing, just find out where they're going and decide whether you want to go there or not. I didn't plan to get off on this one. But, it, but, it, but it's sin. But the other problem is, just because you're living together doesn't mean you're going to know each other. Because you're holding something back. Because you're not willing to commit yourself completely to them for life. So you're holding something back. Oh, I'm going to meddle. But I've been away for a while, so you may want to send me away again. I was doing premarital counseling a number of years ago with a young couple, and they grew up in the, she grew up in the church. And he was a wonderful young couple. Loved, loved the Lord with all their heart. We get down to the last meeting, and they started talking about finances and things. And she said, well, you know, I'm going to have my bank account, and he's going to have his bank account. I said, oh. I thought you were going to get married. Looked at me. And, oh, I'm, I'm really going to get into it. I got bold laws away. The other issue is we said, well, you know, at the end of the ceremony, I'm going to introduce you as Mr. and Mrs. And she said, oh, I was going to keep my maiden name. I said, oh, I thought you wanted to get married. She looked at me. I said, look, the issue is... And all of a sudden, I saw his face light up. <laughs> and what came out is he was concerned because she wouldn't take his name. Now, it's not a matter of women's rights and all that stuff. That's the... <laughs> that's a lack of understanding of the Word of God. God gives more rights to women... <laughs> than the government does. If you just want what the government has for you, you're stepping down. <laughs> but here's the issue. Here's what I want to say. I said, did you, did, listen, I said, I said, I don't care what your name is. Why? What I'm concerned about is why. And I want to know why your fiancé's face lit up when this issue came up. What came out is he was feeling insecure because she wouldn't take his name. He felt she was holding something back. She was afraid. And she was. She was trying to maintain her own identity just in case it didn't work. I said, I'm not going to marry you. There's a week before the wedding. And this was a big one. And she looked at me. I said, excuse me, it was two weeks. I said, we're going to come together in another week and I'm going to ask you. I don't care what you call yourself. It has nothing to do with that. I want to know, do you really want to give yourself completely to him? Because he wants to give himself completely to you. And she came back and she said, yes, I do. I said, do you realize he's feeling insecure because you're holding something of yourself back. The reason I went into this is until, unless you're willing to make that, I'm going to commit my life to you now. Yes, I don't know what's going to happen. Yes, I don't know what things are going to be harder. But I'm making the commitment to you now that you come hell or high water. And believe me, in 45 years, they both came. 
come hell or high water, that I'm gonna, I'm sticking with you. It changes the dynamic of everything. Don't you think God's smarter than we are? If that's what He requires, He must know something we don't know. How did I get off on all that? It was your fault. No. Renewing our mind because what happens? Religion creates, projects to you the image of God that man wants. And when you really study it out, you'll find out that there were men's motives behind it. And those exalt themselves. The word exalt means to lift up. We sing, be exalted, O God. But there's an image of God that's been ingrained in every one of us that exalts itself against truly knowing Him. So in order to truly know Him, we're going to have to learn how to think differently. Unless we change our thinking. That is religion. All right. Now go with me to Romans chapter 12. This is going to be our key scripture. Romans chapter 12. Start in verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. In another week or so, we're going to take that apart in much more detail and give you much more understanding. But here's what I want you to see of this. Unless we change, we will end up being conformed to this world because the world has had a head start with you. You grew up in this world. You've been indoctrinated in this world. You went to school in this world. Your parents taught you things out of this world. We live in a society that's... All the stuff we've been talking about all night is pressuring you to be like the world. See, we come in here and we get excited to be with one another and we talk freely about the Lord. You go out there and there's pressure on you not to talk about Him. You go out there, there's pressure of you to talk like the world, to act like the world... And to, and to think like the world. And here's the problem. We grow up learning to live in two different worlds. We have our church world and our church friends, and we have the real world and the other people that we work with and maybe friends out there. So we learn a different vocabulary out there and a different vocabulary in here. We act differently out there than we do in here. And we learn to live with that as if that's okay. And so the problem is we're not affecting anybody. The world's beginning to affect us. So this tells us that unless I do something, the pressure of the world is changing me so that I'm going to look and act and talk like the world. And what we'll get into later on is Satan wants you to do that. If he could have, what he loved to have done is stop you from getting saved. But we're going to see he couldn't do that. So his fallback position is, if I couldn't stop you from getting saved, I'm going to do everything I can to stop you from affecting anybody else. And the way he does that is to put pressure on you to be conformed to the world. And the only way, this verse says, that we can overcome that is by renewing our mind. In fact, this verse says that we're not to be conformed to this world, but we're to be transformed 
by the renewing of our mind. So the way we're transformed, the way we're changed into what God has already ordained us to be, and we're going to begin to learn that, learn that probably next week. God has already, when you got saved, the, the, the whole package of salvation was deposited in you. Everything God has ever intended for you to do or be is in you right now. You've heard me say that before. The kingdom of God is in you. All the wisdom you're ever going to need is in you right now. You don't have to go get it from somewhere. When you're asking God for wisdom, He doesn't drop it out of heaven. It comes out of here. It's in you right now. Everything you're ever is in you right now. Then how come we're not walking in it? Because we're still thinking like the world because we're going to learn this thing controls not only what gets in you but what comes out of you and Satan understands that enough to put all his focus on programming this thing that's what all that advertising all that stuff we started out talking about is out there for the purpose of Satan controlling the image that you have of God and the image that you have of yourself. Because once you're saved, there's nothing you can do about that. But if he can keep you thinking like you used to be about God and yourself, then he doesn't just let you alone. You actually do him more good than you were before you were saved because now, you'll, you'll, now you're going to be representing this wrong image of God to other people. Whereas before you were saved, you didn't represent God to anybody. So this is so, so, so important. So God has brought to us a complete change, but you will only experience that kingdom of God within you to the extent that you learn to think along the same lines that He thinks, His thoughts. Okay, now, in order to get into this, I want to first of all <clears throat> talk about, we'll do a lot of talking about our mind, but I'll talk about the attitude that we have towards the mind. And I want to get into that because those of us that have come up in certain religious circles, certain spiritual circles, such as Word of Faith, which is what we were raised on, or Charismatic. You have a certain image that's been kind of indoctrinated. See, the church indoctrinates us too. And not necessarily correctly. And I don't mean the church you came out of. I mean this church and other churches like this. We all have our certain way of thinking. And, you know, I'll be the first to tell you, not everything I'm thinking is right. I go to God regularly and say, God, I know there are things about my thinking that are wrong. Please show me. Please show me. And he will. <laughs> so, so we, we've, who've come up through word of faith or charismatic circles, which many of us have had, have an attitude that what this verse really says is, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the, renew, by the removing of the mind. Because I was, I was saved and got into churches where we were led by the Spirit. And the Spirit and the mind have nothing to do with each other. So if you're, if you're an intellectual type of person, you know, I, mean, I was raised in a very intellectual family. People that, that had went to, went not just to college, to doctorate degrees. You know, I went to, from college to law. I went to a good, good prep school. I went to a college, good college. I went to a law school. I've got a very tra- highly trained mind. And, you th- I think in outlines although I'm learning to put that aside at certain times because it helps my marriage to not think in outlines. <laughs> uh, but but my, my mind is very well trained in certain areas. And, and if it doesn't fit into those patterns, I have trouble receiving it. 
So if I'm sitting under a teacher who thinks in the kind of outlines that I think in, I can plug right into them. But if they're just a preacher or on fire, I just I kind of look at them and say, okay, well, that's nice. You know, I'm all worked up about it, but tell me something to do. I have trouble receiving because I don't think in those terms. So I'm having to learn to realize, no, there's value in those things. So I love Paul's writings because Paul thinks in the kind of terms I think of. I've struggled in the Psalms because David doesn't think in those terms. David's just passionate and emotional. Well, what's the purpose of that? See, in my mind, you've got to have a purpose for it. So I've had to learn to overcome that for my marriage too because there's, there's a purpose for passion. And, and so I'm having to learn that. But, but, and, and so, um, how do I, I'm getting really off all the place tonight. Okay. So, so my idea was, you know, was if you're going to be led by the Spirit, then, then that has nothing to do with thinking. And most of the Christians that I grew up with didn't think. They were just led by the Spirit. The interesting thing is I watch, I, this, I just, I watch these patterns. And one day they'd be telling me, oh, God spoke to me and told me to go over here and do this. Oh, God spoke to me about this. And I'd lodge that in my filing cabinet up here. A few weeks later they said, oh, God spoke to me and told me to go over here and do this. And I line this up with this and say, wait a minute, that one's over there. And they don't fit together. And either God has a poor memory or God's not rational either. And it didn't bother them that the two things God told them to do were not only didn't fit in, they were inconsistent with each other. didn't bother them because it was the latest thing God told them to do. So they threw their mind out. Because the mind had no importance or relevance because you do what God telling us to do. Imagine if God designed this universe that way. You realize this universe is the most precise, highly organized creation. Our scientists use the precision of God's creation to measure time. God is extremely organized. God is extremely intelligent. He is intelligence. Jesus, when he was going to feed the, the multitude, you know the first thing he told the disciples to do? Organize them. Have them sit down in groups of fifties and a hundreds. Why? Because it was going to make the administering of the food more effective because there would be aisles. There would be groups that he could give one to the leader of that group, and they could distribute it. God is highly organized. So if you don't believe in organization, you're going to have a little bit of a rough time in heaven. Because it's... Or, you understand you do things in heaven? That's another one of these images. We just sit up there and, you know, on clouds and play harps or whatever the... The, the instrument of the day is. No, you'll be in class. You'll be learning things because what you didn't learn here, you're going to have to learn there. So you determine what your starting class is. Some of you are going to have to start at 101. <laughs> Prep for 101. Some of us in all areas, we're going to have things we've got to learn. Okay, we've got to move on here. Okay, so 
the point is this. But then there are people, Christians, that believe the mind is everything. So, so they don't, you know, they, they say they're led by the Spirit, but it's what only the mind figures out. Those are the two extremes in the body of Christ, basically. And it's, it, we, we've got to learn what the Word of God says. So, okay. So the Word says much about the mind and on the importance of our thoughts. There's some scriptures I want to begin to give to you tonight. Just what the Bible, and there's many more we could get into. Things that the Bible says about our thoughts and about our mind. First of all, the Bible has the audacity to tell us what to think about. Philippians 4.8 Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble or pure, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue or anything worthy of praise, meditate or think on these things. So Paul's telling us, you've got to choose what you think about. So here's the filter. Philippians 4.8 First of all, is it true? Then, is it noble? Is it just? Is it pure? That gets rid of a lot of it. Is it lovely? Is it of a good report? That wipes out most of the rest of them. If there's any virtue or anything worthy of praise, then think on these things. Colossians 3.2 Set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. Every day you have a choice of what to set your mind. Now obviously when you're doing your work, You've got to be thinking, you better be thinking. David, when you're hooking wires together, you better be thinking of what you're doing. But there are other, you're not, you know, well, there are other times when your mind's not having to think. What does it, it wander off into? We're going to learn how to get control of it and to choose what you program into it. But notice, the Bible says, set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. So, first thing is, it tells us what's to think about. Second thing is the Bible tells us that walking right before God's requires us to change our thoughts. Your thoughts determine whether you're walking right before God. I don't mean whether He loves you or not, but whether you're being righteous before Him. Isaiah 55, 7, right before the verse we just looked at, says, let the unrighteous forsake their thoughts. So in order to come to God, they've got to be willing to let go of their thoughts. Romans 14, 14 says, to him who thinks anything is unclean, it's unclean. We'll get there someday. That's one of the things I want to teach on what the Bible says sin is to a Christian. It's not what sin was to an Old Testament person. In the Old Testament, sin was violating the Ten Commandments. In the New Testament, it's violating your conscience, whether your conscience is right or not. And that's what Paul says. If a man thinks something's unclean, then to him it is. Number three, in order to mature, grow up, we need to learn to change how we think. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 says, When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. So children have a certain way of thinking, and those who are parents understand that. And in order to mature, we've got to, the problem is, our bodies grow up, we become older chronologically, but our thinking is still five and six. That's mine. 
That's mine. I want to get there first. Uh, we wouldn't say it that way. But that's the thinking. But when I became a man, I put away childish things, including childish thoughts. That's 1 Corinthians 13, 11. 1 Corinthians 14, 20 says, Do not be children in your understanding or in your thinking, some translations say. So you can be an, a Christian adult thinking like a child. What's a child think about more than anything else? Me. Everything's oriented around me. And when you're two months old and six months old, that's natural. When you're 22 years old, or 32 years old, or 42 years old, or 52 years old, or 62 years old, or 72 years old, then you're still a child in your thinking if it's all about you. Philippians 3.14 says, Therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind or these thoughts. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it to you. He was talking about how Christ was willing to humble himself and let go of the position he was in. He was well, I have the... People go around me, I have the mind of Christ. They need to read what the mind of Christ was. It wasn't that I could think, you know, physics formulas in my head. It's he humbled himself. He didn't promote himself. He, he said, he, said he, he it was not unreasonable for him to consider himself equal with God. And yet he let go of all that. Why? For you and me. That's the mind, the thinking we're supposed to have. What's best for you, not what's best for me. Not what am I going to get out of this, but what, what do I have that I can give for your sake? And he gave everything for us. That was his mindset. So maturing is learning to think the way Jesus thought about you and me, about other people. Fourth thing, our thoughts help determine how well we'll do in our spiritual battle. Turn with me to, when, in, to 1 Peter chapter 1. Talks about, the beginning talks about the, the challenge that they were going through in that time and how they needed to overcome it. And talked about the salvation. He said, that you don't let go of the salvation. He said, because the prophets of old, they saw something in the Spirit that now is for you, and they long to see what you see nowadays. And because of what God has done for us, verse 13 says, therefore, because of that, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. Now the gird up, the practice in those days was they all wore robes, long flowing robes. And that was fine for walking around. But if you were going to run somewhere in a hurry, if you tried to run in those robes, you'd trip over them. So what they would do is they would bend over and they would reach the, their back hem of that robe. And they would pull it up here and they all had a belt around here. And they would tuck and tie that hem up between their legs so that it was now like pantaloons on them. Now they could run and they wouldn't trip over their robes. So the word to, to gird up means that. It means to tie up the loose ends. Because if you're just walking around, you won't trip over the loose ends. But if you've got to move quickly, you can trip over the loose ends. And what we're going to learn is we've got a lot of loose ends in our mind. That when in a tough time, when the pressure's on, and we've got to begin to do things God's way quickly and precisely, those loose ends will trip us up. I never taught this this way before. 
So what he's saying here is, is, is just as a man with a flowing robe would run into a battle, what you do is you've got to pull up the loose ends, tie them down, so that when you've got to run in a race, you're not going to trip over your own loose ends. Go over to chapter 4. We're saying here, our thoughts help determine how well we do in the spiritual battle. Verse 1, four, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, another therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself with the same mind or thought. Now what's that talking about? Christ suffered in the flesh. It wasn't sickness and disease. He didn't die of cancer or leprosy or something like that. His life was taken because he was persecuted. And of course, nobody took it from him. He let them take it. But what it's saying is, he was persecuted. He was maligned. They mocked him. They beat him. They spit at him. They treated him as if he was nothing. And who was he? He created them. He was going through that to save their souls from an eternal hell. And yet he stood there and let them do that to him. That's the suffering in the flesh. He took humiliation and persecution for righteousness sake. Because elsewhere Peter explains that. He says, look, if you're being punished for something you've done wrong, there's no reward you get for that. That's just the results of something you did that was stupid. But if you're being mistreated, if you're being talked about, if you're being beaten, whether it's physically or in some other way emotionally, for righteousness' sake, then count yourself just like Christ. So what he's saying is when you get in the battle where there's pressure on from the world, the way you stand in that battle is to begin to have the thoughts about it the way Jesus thought about it. He didn't think, oh my gosh, I don't deserve this. They don't know who they're talking to. Who are they to say that? Treat me that way. See, that's the way the world thinks about when you're mistreated. But the Bible is saying if you want to be victorious in pressure, you've got to learn to think the way he thought in those situations. And he says, so arm yourself with thinking his thoughts. So our thoughts, when they're godly thoughts, become a protection from us. Not necessarily against things happening, but against being drawn off by the devices of the enemy. The next thing is, number five, is our thoughts can affect our prayers. 1 Corinthians 14, 15. Don't turn there, but it says, says, I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with my understanding or with my mind. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with my mind. So you can pray out of your spirit, but you can also pray with your mind. Your mind affects your prayers. Unless you're praying in the Spirit, then it's your mind's tuned out. That's why it doesn't like that. Number six, go to Ephesians 4. And this will be another one of our key scriptures. Thank you, Dave. We'll bring this to a close. Let's start in verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify to the Lord that you should no longer walk, that's, that means how you live your life, as the Gentiles walk, in the futility 
of their mind. Now, this is the opposite. See, they don't have the life of God in them. So they're trying to understand God with their mind. That's why it's so ridiculous to see people on talk show hosts, on talk show programs, trying to explain things of God. They can't understand it because it's not understood with the mind. You have to have the Spirit of God in you to understand, to receive it. Then once you've got the revelation in here, your mind can understand the revelation. So they're trying to deal with God out of the futility of the mind. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, not their mind. But you've not so learned Christ. In other words, you've had the revelation of Him. He's alive in you. He's real in you. The Spirit of God is in you. If indeed you've heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Christ, that you put off concerning your former conduct. Now he's talking about how to learn, how to act like Christ. You already are Him on the inside, but it's now learning to act on the outside like who you are on the inside. Put off concerning the former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed, be changed in the spirit of your mind, that you may put on the new man who was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So we come full circle here. Just as Romans 12.2 says, that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind into who God's already made you to be. Here Paul says, Philippians 4.23, that we put on the new man who's already in us, This suit was in my closet when I came home from work today. I already had the suit. But the only way you can see this suit is because I went into the closet where I already had it and I put it on. But if I don't know I have the suit or it's in there and I'm not sure whether it's mine or not, I'm not going to put it on. Or I may have it, I may believe it's mine, but I may not know how to put it on unless somebody shows me how to put it on. So the way we put on the outside who we are on the inside, Paul says, is by renewing our mind. And that's what we're going to begin to get into in more detail next week.